You know, it doesn't take much to watch the news today, not just here in America, but across the world, to be able to see there is conflict in our world. In fact, you don't even have to turn on the TV. We can just open up our eyes and look in our workplace, look in our families, even in churches. The need for peace. Even if there was peace, it seems to just keep falling apart, kind of like what may happen as I'm preaching here today. Uh, it's already falling apart. This is a job the pastor tried to do, decorating. That doesn't work. Uh, trying to get peace to stay on there. It is peace. Uh, it is something that you have to kind of work at here as we think about. You know, how many of you today would say that you have a relationship in which you are experiencing some conflict in? Maybe it's not all out World War III, but there are just certain things that just keep coming up or you just are not able to seem to get along all of the time or at best, maybe there's just a constant tension in a relationship. How many would be willing to admit that you have relationships like that? You know, and most of us do in some sense or another. Conflict is a normal part of life. It's a normal part of life's relationships. And unfortunately, sometimes you hurt and get hurt. But here's the good news today. All conflict does not have to be all bad. It is something that can be constructive, not destructive. And above all, it is an opportunity to glorify God. Every conflict is an opportunity to once again glorify God by all that you say and do. And to grow in both Christ and to grow deeper in your relationship with that other person. Most of the time, we can live in peace with others. And in fact, in a sense, as we've talked about the 2020 vision, the theme of this year, making God's, part of it specifically, making God's love clear to those who are near and making a difference in those who are different from us. This talks about it. And in fact, this was something that uh, really had a sense that uh, a series of messages that God wanted me to bring this year around this time. uh, The next kind of series around this time before Easter that dealt with what, as you notice here, is called peace talks. Today is going beyond a ceasefire, but the uh, the message series, in a sense, go peace talks. So you can take that a number of different ways. Please do. Uh, D, all of the above, as you think about that. It's where we hope to share some principles and practices of biblical conflict resolution that either we've missed along the way or we've misunderstood. Because God has called all of us to be peacemakers. But before we get too far into it, today what we really need to cover is to establish two main truths if we're going to live in peace with others. There are two main truths. And the first one that we need to recognize today is that we need to put a priority on peace with others. We need to put a priority on peace with others. Now there may be some... Who are here, I don't know that anybody would actually say it out loud, but there may be some who would say it here, be just like, whoa, uh, let me just stop you, Pastor, before you get started. Let me just stop you uh, from even going there because, you know what, I don't want to talk about peace. 
I don't want any peace talks, especially with this person. I don't have anything to do with them. I'm right. They are wrong. I'm just fine. They're the problem. And I'm certainly not going to put a priority on trying to be at peace with them. Well, that sounds all high and mighty, except for the fact that the real high and mighty God says something different. In fact, let's specifically focus. I mean, it it's all applies to what I just read, but let's specifically focus on verse 18. I do hope you have your Bibles with you and are able to look at this. If for some reason you do not have a Bible, make sure you say something to myself or an elder or somebody in the church here to make sure that we can help you with that. Verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think i got to read that again. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is God's priority. Oh, well, but, you know, that's, that's just one verse, Pastor. You just picked out one verse. Well, first of all, God wrote that. Those are his words. One verse should be enough. Okay? But, for those who just need a little extra encouragement, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Same thing he said before. Same words. Live in peace. In the God of love and, that should say, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Like I said, and when I say the exact same words, the exact same words in the original language, live in peace. There and Romans chapter 12, 18. But I know some of you need a little more encouraging. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to, what? Live in peace with everyone and be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What's interesting is that many can probably remember the last part of that verse about, you know, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I've heard that before. Yes, that's right. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But the context is not about how you're personally just living your life. The context is about living in peace with others as it deals with our holiness. Okay. I know that's still not enough for some people. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you and hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. What's it say? Live in peace with each other. Okay, 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 okay. No, no, I'm going to give you one more. Matthew chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if it loses saltiness, how can it make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Jesus specifically commanding that here. Although technically, let's make sure we understand, Jesus specifically commanded all those other things because he's the author. Not just his words in the gospel, but all of it is his. Okay. So it's a priority to God. And I suppose, somebody says, I suppose that there are certain people that I need to live in peace with. Well, actually it's not certain people that you have to live in peace with. Romans 12, 18, in the context here, 
is not, as it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all or everyone or whatever your version says. It's all the same thing. It's not strictly dealing with your family. It's not strictly dealing with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That word all means all, all men, all people, all around us, all over the world. There is no one that this verse does not apply to that you are supposed to live in peace with. To live at peace with everyone, including those who are unbelievers, with those who are different from you, with those who differ from you, with those who are difficult to you, even to the point of being enemies. In fact, that's really, in many ways, the context surrounding the verse here in verse 18. As you read just before that in verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written... It is mine to avenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And it goes on from there. This living at peace with everyone. Even those who might seem like the enemy. In Matthew chapter 5, do you know that Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But are we aware that what it says in that context following that directly in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oftentimes we separate 9 and 10, that whole part. Oh, here's the part where he's talking about, you know, you got the enemies, you got the people persecuting you. So those are the peacemakers. It's not a completely foreign thought. There need to be peacemakers because there's going to be those who don't want peace with you. But we are to live in peace with everyone. But are we really peacemakers? Are there times that we actually are nothing but peace fakers? I, I say that because I'm not sure that we really understand what it means to live in peace with others. There are those who are, are, are missing the mark, so to speak, of the priority of a real peace and instead settle for what ultimately is not only not the peace that God wants, but it's not peace at all. For example, all too often in our world when we talk about peace, it's usually talking about peacekeeping. Like the UN, it's, they, it has a force, right? The UN peacekeeping force. You've probably heard that which is really more about stopping the fighting and enforcing the ceasefire, making sure that the two sides don't get close enough to start up again. Obviously, the hope is in this peacekeeping that the temporary stoppage of the ceasefire, the two sides will somehow get together and find a permanent peace. But if the hope is for a permanent peace, that means that the peacekeeping really has nothing to do with actually bringing about peace in that moment, in that time. Ultimately, their role is not about making peace, it's just keeping peace, peace as they call it. More accurately, just keeping people from fighting, keeping people who are in conflict apart from one another. 
And I, I really hope that, that, you know, I was going to just take all those and fix them. I thought, you know what, this is just good illustration. Peace is constantly falling. Things are falling apart in conflict. That, that was just you. Who was that, right? Think about this. The whole thinking of, of peacekeeping is about keeping people who are in conflict apart from one another. But that will never lead to God's priority of peace, which ultimately is about bringing people together, not apart. That's not real peace. But that's the way we live. That's the way we work in our personal lives so many times. That's not the way God did it with us. It, it, would, be like, uh, 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 it would be like a parent. Making two siblings to stop fighting and say they're sorry, shake hands, and the parent says, thinks, okay, well, it's all better now, and now finally there's some peace in my house. Right? I mean, just look at those cherubs. <laughs> Except, uh, I want you to think about it for a moment. Uh, just look a little more closely at what might be going on there. You see, what's going on in the parents' head is, oh, those boys are going to go off to school just arm in arm together, and things are just better now. There's peace. What the boys are thinking? I can't wait to get back to it. You know, anybody that's ever had a, a brother or a sister knows that what that parent did was not bring peace. All the parent did was cause there to be a ceasefire. And only for as long as the sheriff was still around. But just you wait. You can stop the fighting with the other person, but that doesn't mean that you are at peace with them. Nothing really has changed. The conflict was not resolved. And here is where we need to ask the question about whether making peace is a priority. Because ultimately the absence of outward conflict is not the presence of peace. The absence of outward conflict is not necessarily the presence of peace. That's not living in peace with each other. As Romans 12 and so many other places that I read are talking about. Yet there are those who would say they really do want peace. I, I want peace. I really want that. But in a misguided, similar way of just peacekeeping, they, they live by this motto that is, uh, well, can't we just all just get along? This person says, you know, I, I just, I just want to keep the peace. I don't want anyone to be upset and I don't want to upset anyone. And so I'm, I'm not going to say or do anything that's going to make waves. In fact, I, I don't even want to make ripples in the water. And so they walk on eggshells all the time, even apologizing for things that either weren't wrong or they didn't do. But the goal is just to keep peace. And they do that by keeping their mouth shut. Now, I should say, don't misunderstand here. There are those who need to learn that biblical, wise method of self-control, which we'll talk about probably in the coming weeks. 
You know the one I'm talking about, Proverbs 17, verse 28, for example. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. In other words, if they keep their mouth shut. So there are times for that. But unfortunately, too often trying to do this in peacekeeping just turns into peace faking. Fooling themselves and even fooling the other person into thinking that they're actually getting along now. But they're not getting along together because there's no real togetherness in that. Basically, they're living in what could be just a one-way ceasefire relationship. The peacekeeper, no matter what the other person says or does, chooses just to keep the peace. I'm not going to respond back. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to there trying not to be selfish. And think about themselves and what's, what, what, what they're thinking. They're trying not to be selfish. That's a good thing. They're trying not to fight destructively with the other person, which is a good thing. But in the process, they're also not fighting for the relationship. Are you with me? Do we catch this? So many times our peacekeeping of not fighting ends up not fighting for the relationship either. And people fight about all kinds of things. And some seem like they're important at the time. Others are just plain stupid. But how many times do you have people say to you, you know what, I'm fighting for peace, for real peace in my relationship. Which means not taking those things that need to be resolved and just always sweeping them under the rug till eventually it becomes obvious and it just trips up the relationship. It's a fake peace. There's denial about what the real issues and problems are that could be resolved with real solutions that could lead to a real peace, but instead, let's just put the problems on the back burner permanently. And that may seem like things are more peaceful, but you don't turn the heat off because you never resolve the problem. So it's on the back burner, but the heat's not off, and the back burner continues to boil that stuff until either bitterness is boiled down to, or you burn out the relationship. That's not living in peace. Not the peace that God has in mind for us to have a priority for. We just want to keep everyone happy. But have you noticed that doesn't really work? You can't keep everyone happy. In fact, have you noticed that even God seems to have a problem keeping everybody happy? Not just within the word, but just talk to people. You think you're being a peacemaker, but so many times you can end up being a peace faker. Just smoothing things over, so to speak. Whenever there's a problem, you just try to calm it all down. But all it does, there's a a point where we take a break, where we call a time out, but we deal with it. But for many, they just continue to just, it's all about just calm it all down. But in the process, it's just cramming it down under the surface where it will grow and come up in another area, another way, another place is you don't actually deal with the problem or seek a resolution. Which means unless we truly decide that this is something that we can fully, and sometimes we can, we can decide, you know, this is something, this problem is something I can just fully let go. 
And therefore, if I really let it go, then we're not going to have a conflict over it again. Because I've let it go. But too many times we don't let it go and we have the same conflict over and over again. We have the same thing that we just go around and around and around about. Although the longer you're married, the quicker you get to go around that circle. So you go from zero to totally ticked off in 60 seconds versus 60 minutes. It doesn't have to be this way to live in peace with others. And it all comes down to God's greatest priority for us, and that's love. In fact, all these things, as you look in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you, bless, do not curse, rejoice, and all the stuff that's talked about, all of these could be packed in together in the package of love. Which leads us to our next and overarching truth. If we're to live in peace with others, we also need to pay the price of peace with others. There are actually some that would think that the, the price they have to pay for peace comes down to just costing them their relationship. Well, for the sake of peace, the best thing to do is just to walk away. But we're missing the point altogether. God never meant for us to put such a priority on peace that it overrides the priority of relationship, of love. The priority that he has of living in peace with one another because if you just write off the relationship, you're no longer living in the relationship. If you're not with the other person, it's not God's peace. You may be thinking you have peace, but it's not God's peace if you're not with them. These are the kind of responses and and what we've been talking about a little bit. It deals with an organization, Peacemakers, that some of you may have heard about. Their slippery slope definition so to speak. And uh, I'm trying to think whether this has a little thing, but over on your left, you see the flight kind of response, the, the escape responses to conflict that some do. And in fact, earlier we were dealing, in a sense, with the denial part that you see up there, where somebody just keeps a peace by acting like there's not any problem or, or just kind of just burying it. It's all about a flight. And then there's the, this that we're talking about here, the flight. Just quit the relationship, escape it. And, and we actually don't have to just walk away to have flight, to, to get out of the relationship and yet still be in it. We can just continue to avoid the person. Then we avoid the conflict. We can say we're still friends, but we just never get together or talk. How can we say we're getting along together if we never get together? That's not living in peace. Your relationship will not grow closer by keeping your distance and avoiding all conflict. That is not the price of peace that leads to the love that God calls us to. Eventually, there is not a real peace between us because there is not really an us. Do you get that? You can't say there's a peace between us if there's not an us. There are those that make some effort and, and, but are not willing to pay the real price for real peace. Some say, I, I'm leaving. I'm not leaving mad. I'm just leaving. I, I don't want to fight anymore. And, and the real, reality is, I, I, 
I often, I don't want to fight the, for the relationship. In fact, some people can act like, you know, they're just trying to do what's best, to, trying to do it for the peace of everyone. But that's a flight, that's a peace faking. Interestingly, besides the person who is self-centered and selfish, should just wants to take off in the escape and flight... Who do you think might be the other person most likely to do that? To pick the flight or the escape response? It's that person who was living already in the escape, in denial. The person who was trying to just keep the peace. I'm not going to... I'm not going to make waves. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to keep the peace. You know, they've chosen not to fight, but eventually they can't keep it up. And suddenly they just walk out to the surprise of the other person who oftentimes has no clue. I thought we were at peace. But that wasn't a real peace. There wasn't a sharing of thoughts or things or truth. You see, for that person who is, is, is peace faking, it is kind of just trying to peace keep and just keep everybody happy, eventually that can lead to resentment or at least a distance in a relationship that feels like they're living in a... You know, a one-way relationship. Even to the point where they feel like, I'm not sure that I matter in this relationship. And while flight is the wrong response, as you can see here, it doesn't lead to God's peace or resolution in any way. It's not a big step for someone to take from denial to flight. But in those times, instead of running from everything, we need to run to God and realize that there is always hope with God who can move mountains. But there's a price. There's a price that God is expecting us to pay for peace. And in this process, realizing that that first mountain that needs to be moved may be you. In fact, oftentimes is you. Not the other person that has all the problems. There's a cost. It's obviously you've been what you've been doing so far hasn't worked in a relationship. When you see that and you're just trying harder and say, well, I have paid, I have tried harder. There should be a point to realize, you know what? Instead of just picking flight... Maybe I need to try differently. I've been trying harder with what at least I think I see, but there's more to it. And the God who moves mountains has other ways of moving mountains than what you're trying to do. And you can find that peace. God's ultimate goal to conflict is that He would get the glory and that you would grow. 
Not only as an individual, but grow in that relationship. So after conflict blows up, God is not just wanting things to get back to the way they were before. Where you can just keep peace again. That's what got you there to begin with. And that's what keeps us going around and around in circles is that we have these where we think we try to make up in our relationships. We try to get things better, but we don't really make peace. Instead, we just get it better to get back to the way it was, which is where there was problems to begin with. And what God wants is to make things not a little better, but to make things a lot better. In fact, to make things better than it has ever been in your relationship with that person. God can do that. God has done that. I have seen it in some of the hardest cases where God has come in and made that better than anyone ever imagined it was possible with a hope in Him. Dealing constructively instead of destructively, building something that God wants. In saying all that, that does not mean that it will not be hard work to get to a place of peace. Not to mention the, the continued work just to treasure that peace, to kind of keep it up, keep it with that. There is, there is work. In fact, that's part of what verse we read earlier, Romans 14, verse 19. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. There's an effort there. Notice it says every effort. Well, I've done everything. I can almost guarantee you, you come to me, I will tell you, you've not done everything. Not to mention other people. But every effort, there's a price to peace. And first and foremost, it is a responsibility of believers to pay that cost. This implies that what we need to do lies within us to bring about that peace. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes our heart. It will take our humility. It will take our sacrifice. It will take our responsibility. As it says in verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, and that seems like good news because in some ways it helps us to realize that not every failure at peace in our lives means that we have failed. Ultimately, it takes two people to bring about peace. A, a, a true and a lasting peace is going to take two. And so it's not always going to happen. And yet we are so quick to use that as an excuse. Well, the Bible does say, if it, you know, if, if it's possible, it's not possible. It is not possible. You know, before we pat ourselves on the back and say, I tried. Not that we've tried in every ever, but just so we do that. Let's be clear about what this word he is saying here, if, if possible. This is not an if you are able possible. This is not an if you can make peace possible. Eh, no, 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 no. This is an if that doesn't apply to you. This is an if that applies to the other person, not to you. This is an if... You follow through in the love of Christ. 
It may not be possible for peace because of the other person. Not because of you, but because they have rejected your efforts to peace and what God's trying to do. Just like so many reject Jesus' offer of peace between them, him and God. There's a sense we cannot control other people and their responses. But there should never be any ifs on our part. No if excuses on our part. Nothing on our part should prevent peace. In fact, there should be nothing on our part that is provoking a long-term peace either. We need to begin by paying the price. That, and that means that many, a, a place where many do not want to start, and that is to just acknowledge that there's a problem. To acknowledge that there's a problem with peace between us. I, I recognize that sometimes it, it seems like it's just a one-way problem. That other person seems to have the problem, and I don't. I don't know what their problem is. Uh, they obviously have one. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. No, I don't have a problem. I, I, I don't. No, I am not upset about this. I don't know how many times i got to say it. I wish I could film some times where I've had that, where those words have actually been said and come out that way. I think maybe you do. The first price to be paid is to be honest with what's really going on inside of you and what's going on in your relationship. This is not merely talking about where I am or how that person has wronged me or what's going on. It's talking about us. Where we are really at in our relationship. Not about who's wrong, who's right or anything like that. This is not us. This is not me and you uh, against one another. We're on the same team. And so when we get together to talk about knowledge that there is, there seems to be some problem with peace, it's about us. And what becomes difficult is someone that we try to make peace with will not admit that there is any problem. I don't have a problem. There's nothing personal. I'm okay. But not only to you, but to other people who know them, it's not okay. Pray that God can break through that denial and pray that God can break through with peace, the peacekeeping habits even of some of those people, that they can pay the price for real and lasting peace. Another price that we need to pay is that we don't just sit around waiting for the other person to make the first move, but that we swallow our pride, we humble ourselves, and we go to them. Even if if in your mind they were the one who was 100% wrong, they were the ones who 100% wronged me, Let's face it. Who made the first move, God or us? For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For while we were His enemies, God sent His one and only Son. Let's face it. God made the first move. And He's God. He was completely in the right. And we were completely in the wrong. And yet He made peace with us. He made the first move. 
by making the first move in humbling himself. God humbled himself and became a man, humbled himself even to death on a cross. Why do we have such problem with paying this price? We need to be willing to make the first move. Even if it seems one-sided, the other person seems to have a problem with you. There seems to be a problem with peace in that relationship, and so we go to them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you were offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother. I'm pretty sure I don't have this up here. Oh, yes, I do. Here you go. But it's Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you were offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now we've talked about things before, about the importance of the priority of pressing into the presence of God, right? That our number one responsibility is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. That, that, that this is our first relationship priority. should be the priority is, is to come before God, is to be in relationship for Him with Him. But based on this verse, God is saying, you need to recognize that you're not good with me if you're not good with others. You're not good with me if it's not going good with others. And you see the priority and the price of peace in this verse. If you're offering your gift to the altar, if you're, in, if you're coming into pressing into the presence of God, you're worshiping Him, and yet at the same time, not you have a problem with somebody, but somebody has a problem with you. Peace is broken. That you go. I recognize, again, that first move, as far as it depends on you, you do your part, the other person is responsible for their part before God. We need to know that depressing the presence, even though it's the number one thing in our, our relationship with God, we are not good with God as far as it depends on us. We need to recognize that this vertical relationship between us and God is dependent as well upon our horizontal relationship with us and others. They're connected. The vertical is connected to the horizontal Sometimes efforts uh, working at peacekeeping it becomes a Wild West kind of mentality, kind of a share it, uh, Wyatt Earp kind of thing. In fact, if you put peacemaker in uh, uh, Google, nothing but pictures of guns come up. Okay? Uh, but but that's the way some people keep the peace. I've, I've been dealing with the... We still have this... Uh, uh, the slippery slope up here, and we've been talking about the escape responses, but there are other responses that are not right as well, and that is the attack responses. You know, kind of the Wyatt Earp who, as he uh, <clears throat> hears about something that's going on, he's going to go keep the peace, and he heads off to the OK Corral grabbing his gun, which, by the way, the word peacemaker is engraved on the handle. And the truth is, he's more of a peace breaker by attacking the person, not the problem, by pushing others to either give in, give up, or what to what some would call peace. You see, on this right side of the slippery slope diagram here, this attack response says, "You want peace? You want peace? 
then it's my way or the highway. I'm right, you're wrong, that's all you need to know. We're not really keeping peace by having the loudest voice or being the angriest. We might win, but our problem isn't settled. Instead, the problem just gets bigger and it goes underground and it's coming back someday because not a real peace was made. So often you can win the argument. So often you can win the argument and lose the relationship. Even in those times when you are right, you end up handling it wrong. And here's where there's a price to be paid often. Not every single time there will be exceptions and we'll talk about that in the future here. But here's the price, well, here's the part where there's a price to be paid. There are going to be times where you being right is not as important as being right with the other person. Because the vertical is connected to the horizontal. Sometimes the price of peace is not only sacrificing selfishness, but sacrificing self-righteousness. Not everyone starts out trying to be a peace breaker, by the way. Oftentimes conflict starts, somebody just tries to calm it down and they do, let's just talk it out. But eventually I can't take it anymore. I, did, I'm, you know, I didn't start this, but I'm going to finish it. Come on, you've heard that. In other words, I'm going to repay evil for evil. This is what was done to me. I'm going to attack. I'm going to give back. I'm not going to work towards peace. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what it's saying. Verse 19, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written in His mind to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not attack Seek peace. Peace is not something you can force. It has to be something you make with each other. And so that means that a peacemaker is neither aggressive like a peacebreaker, and nor is a peacemaker passive like a peace faker. A peacemaker will do the hard things that have to be done, which includes at times avoiding conflict for the sake of the at times not avoiding conflict. For the sake of the relationship, doing something more. Not because of some personal preference or need or something that they think is right or wrong, but ultimately about what is right in God's eyes and about making us right with one another. We think about God's response in Romans chapter 5. While we were yet enemies, He chose not to send an army. He chose not to force us to obey. In the same token, God did not also say, you know, so God, God's peacemaking with us was not the attack responses, but God's peacemaking with us was not the escape responses kind of thing, either the denial where he says, you know what? Hey, I know you've done something. I know. But you know what? Kids will be kids. I understand. No harm, no foul. We're all good. God didn't say that either. There was a price for peace. And he chose to send his one and only son. Let's be glad that Jesus on the cross didn't say, you know what, I'm fed up with all this. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I came here to physically die for you people. 
And this is how you treat me while I'm here on the cross. The things you're saying, but even the people who said that you really love me and we're going to follow me anywhere, you're not nowhere. Jesus didn't say that. He paid the price. He made the sacrifice. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth and heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When we think about communion here and what we're just getting about ready to do, Jesus' mission was not just about going to the cross so that we don't have to pay it. Jesus' mission was not just about shedding his blood to cover over our sins. Jesus' mission was not just about forgiveness. We read in this verse right here, part of, the big part of Jesus' mission ultimately was to reconcile us to God to make peace between us and God. That takes effort. There's a price. And that's what he's asking of us. To live in peace with others. There's a cost. Part of that cost may be as well for us to forgive, but that's only the beginning of the cost that you need to forgive that person. That's not the end. And we'll talk more about that in, in future messages. In fact, next week is... Uh, the title probably could be said, uh, Is This Really Worth Fighting About? Sometimes the answer might be yes, but a lot of times... I know there are those who say, you know, I've tried. I've tried to live in peace as far as it depends on me. I've tried to be a peacemaker. But have you made every effort? Yes, I have. But has that effort been in the flesh or in the spirit? Has that effort been in all that you can do or in all that God can do? You know, part of what it says here, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, possible, that word, if it is possible, that word in the original is where we get the word for dynamite. Believe it or not, we've, you've probably heard pastors talk about that dunamos, you know, uh, power. That's that word there. Part of that, the root of that word is, is if it is possible, there is power. If it is, it is mighty and powerful and able and we recognize that he's saying in all of this, there is a power, there is an ability, there is an, uh, something that is within us through Christ to be able to do what we need to do to live in peace with others. Let's make that determination. And let's really focus on that ask that the worship team would come and that the communion stewards would come as well. Let's really make that focus as we think about how Jesus made peace with us and what he did on the cross. The priority that he set as well as the price that he paid. And as we recognize that in our relationship with God, let's recognize our relationship with others should follow his example.